podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Eighty-five of Below the Belt. Uh, happy New Year to everybody, and Happy New Year to my good friend John McDonald. How are you, sir? Happy New Year, Kel. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, man. Yeah, all good. All good. Very, very good. Um, bad little break. Obviously, Christmas and New Year. I had a lot going on, um, but we're back, and oof, we missed an awful lot. Um, but before we dive into all of that, how was your Christmas, John? How was it? Yeah, Christmas was good. Had a nice long break. Pretty chilled. You have a good one? I booked the extra week off, hence why we're recording today. So what is it? it's the 4th of January at time of recording. I did book the extra week off. Yeah, it's lovely. Uh, yeah, it was nice. You know, it's the usual stuff. It's, you know, it gets built up into this whole thing, Christmas, doesn't it? But really what it's about is good food, good company, and some uh, some Christmas movies. What's your favourite Christmas movie? <sighs> Home Alone. Yes. Can't beat it. Yep. It's a classic. Yep. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. That was easy, wasn't it? Um, what's the best Christmas present you ever got? Oh, probably the original PlayStation when I was a oh, kid. Oh, yeah. Oh, amazing. Absolute game-changing present. Like, so far ahead of anything else that's come prior to that. Like, mm. I owned the assorted Sega consoles. I played on uh, friends' N64s and then this PlayStation drops and it just blows everything out of the water. It had a game called Heart of Darkness which was fantastic. Loved that game. Played it to death. I think that was by far and away my best Christmas present ever. What beers? I feel like we could do a gaming podcast to be honest. I could sit here and chat to you about We do it all the time don't we? When we're having an offline <laughs> before we start recording the boxing we'll sit there and talk about retro games and uh, I've been doing a lot of moving around lately and yeah all the retro games are all together at the minute. Um, uh, best Christmas present one that always stands out from my childhood was getting the million dollar man Ted DiBiase action figure but his suit wasn't black his suit was green and I think it was like a Wrestlemania special or something and i've still got it i've still got it somewhere uh to this day so probably yeah probably the te- million dollar man ted dibiase action figure that i got as a kid i absolutely love that thing i've still got it somewhere um yeah i'd love to sit here and talk about retro games to be honest but we should probably uh talk about boxing Ugh. um it's 12 minutes past one on thursday the 4th of january at time of recording this weekend, John, on the 6th, Virgil Ortiz is due to box Frederick Lawson at Super Welters. He's moving up in weight. We've done this before. Let's do it again. What time and date do you think he's pulling out? I would say let's go for sometime after the weigh-in, but before the day of the fight. That's his usual one, isn't it? He'll, he'll weigh in, he'll be fucked at the weight, and then he'll he'll pull out because of you know he's feeling horrible or whatever that you know i'm gonna go 9 a.m british time so it'll be the early hours of the morning i think i'm gonna wake up and he's pulled out um hopefully not hopefully he boxes do you think do you think all jokes aside do you think he does all right at light middle 
Yeah, he's got a big frame. Like, he was massive when he was at Lightwelter. When he was coming through as a prospect, him and Josh Taylor were coming through at the same time. And I thought that was going to be a hell of a fight. But Ortiz has clearly grown through the weights. I think light middle has been one of my favourite weight classes. But despite the fact that Charlo was undisputed there, no one has ever really cemented their status as the number one for long. He had a couple of losses there. Tim Zoo's appearing there now with Spence and Crawford potentially heading there. Like We could be seeing a big change in the landscape and it'll be interesting to see how Virgil Ortiz gets on because I really, really rate him when he fights. Mm. I'm always very impressed. It's just he hasn't fought since the middle of 2022 or something at this stage. Wow. wow. I was just about to look that up. August of 2022, Michael McKinson. He's fighting a guy, yeah. Frederick Lawson, who's been stopped twice in his last five. So if there's an opportunity for him to get back in with a softest touch, this is kind of it, isn't it, really? Um, yeah, we just... Hopefully the extra seven pounds is, is doing does him a favour and he stays there. He should not try and go back to world. So that was clearly an issue. There was clearly something... I know he's got other health issues, but really, really cutting weight for a guy of his size and his frame... Um, you know he needs to he needs to stay at the higher weight really, but we'll see we'll see we'll see how he gets on. And our, our good friend O'Hara Davies is on the undercard as well, isn't he? He is, and it's an intriguing fight because if this fight had taken place during the pandemic years against uh, Barroso, I'd be like, oh, like fine, it's a bit of a nothing fight. But now after. Barroso's performance against Rolly Romero, mm. it's actually really interesting. And I think the quote from O'Hara Davies this week sums it up best. He doesn't know if Rolly Romero is really shit or if Barroso's better than he thought he was. He can't work it out. And that's, I think that's fair. I think that is fair. And I, I think Rolly Romero's kind of reputation at the minute is built based on doing semi all right against Tank before getting knocked out. Um, yeah, but surviving for five rounds or whatever it was, he seems to be based on that, and he's a he's a pretty good talker, uh, Rolly as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. It be it's, it is quite interesting because I actually don't know, I don't know how good O'Hara Davies is either because he's beat, you know, he, he got this he got this uh, opportunity at world level because he beat Lewis Ritson, you know, in in a, a three quarters empty arena up in Sunderland or Newcastle, I think it was Sunderland, wasn't it? I don't even know how good O'Hara Davies is. Is he really that much above British level? But I think we're going to see, aren't we? We're going to see how good he is at the weekend and we'll see how how he gets on. Um, But there's been a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Let's start... Let's start with... We'll go backwards. Let's start with Boxing Day. Um, Inoue against Marlon Tapales. Boxing Day. How did you set yourself up to watch it, John? What were you doing? Turkey sandwiches? how, How did you set yourself up? I woke up about 10.30, nice. made myself a coffee, grabbed some, I think it was some leftover pigs in blankets, had them for a breakfast with my coffee, sat down just in time for the main event, watched Inui put on an absolute masterclass, Tapales proved his worth. Like We're now at the stage where if a fighter does okay in a round against uh, Inui were like, oh, he's having a go. He's doing really well. <laughs> like, that is the level 
that Inui's operating at that we now give massive credit for them having a bit of a go and not just retreating and going in the back foot, but Tapala's did give it an effort and it was nice having boxing on Boxing Day. What was your setup? Yeah, it was pretty similar. I actually got up pretty early. I ended up watching some of the undercard uh, as well. Um, yeah, it was it was really good watch. Um, what did I eat? I think I had egg and bacon. I've been eating a lot of egg and bacon over over Christmas in some sort of bread. Um, and yeah, I, I did that and uh, sat there and watched it. And it was, yeah, you're right. We're, we're, we're giving guys like Tapales loads of credit because he, you know, because he had a go. He's a unified world champion. He's supposed to have a go. <laughs> like that's what he's supposed to do. He's there to win the undisputed championship. <laughs> they had two belts each. He's supposed to have a go. Um, but he did have a go. Bless him. He did have a really good go at it. And, he gave. He was landing some nice left hands to the body in particular. And Inoue, what I kind of noticed was when he he dropped. When did he drop to Palace? That was when was that? It was quite early on. And what he was doing at that point was he was working the body quite a lot. Inoue, and then after that he stopped. He stopped working the body and he started head hunting after that. And I think that's what led to Palace back into the fight. Did you notice that? Yeah, and he's been guilty of this in the past. Sometimes he does go headhunting rather than leaning on that beautiful left hook to the body that he's got, which is one of my favourite punches in boxing. Inui's left hook to the body is a killer punch. It's what buckled Jamie McDonnell, first of all. Like, it's a great, great shot, but he did go headhunting. I don't know, was he trying to get something spectacular, a highlight reel knockout? or if he felt that he was too open when he was throwing to the body because Tapales has got good hand speed, he's got good timing, he can throw from unorthodox angles and he's got every punch in the book. Like He's a really technically skilled fighter, so I'm not sure what led to that change, but he did go a bit headhunting and it is probably what resulted in it going 10 rounds. I think as well, with a southpaw, the they always say when you you know if you're an orthodox fighter boxing a southpaw the straight right hand is your weapon of choice isn't it it's what it's what tends to find yeah. find the mark and actually we saw that we saw that he started to use that more and more as the fight won and that was actually the the shot that ended the fight in the end wasn't it it was a a, a really hard right hand down the pipe which which dropped to Palace and um but no I I, I liked to Palace he had a good go at it you know he, he tried but he was just in with a guy just far too good for him um. It seems like he's going to stay at Super Bantam now, John. Anyway, yeah, yeah, it appears so. I think that there's there's this interesting angle with uh, Luis Neri, who's WBC's mandatory challenger, because he's persona non grata in Japan for his uh, two fights with Yamanaka. Mm. Because in the first fight, he stops Yamanaka in, I think, about four rounds and tests positive for clenbuterol. The WBC, being the WBC, dealing with a Mexican, <laughs> decided it was contaminated beef. So they had a rematch for the vacant title of bantamweight. And Neri comes in weighing just under the super bantamweight limit, so he can't win the title. And he blasts Yamanaka out of there, sends Yamanaka, a long reigning champion, into retirement. And he received what was presumed to be a lifetime ban from uh, the Japanese Boxing Council. Oh dear. So, so, if they fight, it might have to be in the States then, John, do you think? It might have to be in the States, but if there was ever 
a fight that the JBC would overrule their decision for. It's this one to let Neri come back to Japan and have Inui knock lumps out of him. Yeah, that's it. I suppose they'd want some sort of justice for, you know, you know, for their guy over there. So maybe, maybe. I was just having a look. He actually, uh, Louis Neri suspended in California. Why was that? Was it a drugs issue? Was that why? Not that, not that I'm aware of. Mate. I'm wondering is it, how long was the suspension? Because they sometimes give suspensions in some of these uh, state athletic commissions if they've been in hard fights and his uh, fight with Hovanesian was brutal. Mm. It, it might have just been, it, yeah, I know what you're saying. Sometimes when they have a tough fight, it wasn't, it, no, it wasn't after a particularly tough fight. It just says he, uh, Lewis Nui fought with an active suspension in California, but there's no, there's, it, it wouldn't have been for the Clem would it? it? It wouldn't have been because of that. Anyway, we'll find out. No. We'll never know. Um, or we'll, we'll find out at some point. Um, do you think that's going to be next then, the, the WBC mandatory? Are they next in line? They're talking about that fight in May, and given Inui's two-fight-a-year schedule at the minute, I would presume that is going to be next. Mm, yeah, and it feels like he's going to stay there for the for the year, doesn't it? At least, at least for a year, because he's. I think he said something on the lines of he still feels like he's growing into the weight. Uh, he's not quite. He's not quite fully at the at the weight yet. He's still getting there. So we, we expect him to stay there for at least twenty twenty four, if not twenty twenty five. I'm not sure because top rank have got a lot of options for Inui up at featherweight because they've got Luis Alberto Lopez, they've got uh, Espinosa and Rubezi Ramirez, whoever's got the title at the end of mm-hmm. that. And uh, they've recently signed uh, Kolmatov, who's uh, fighting uh, Ray Ford for the WBA belt that used to be in possession of Lee Wood. So they could have three of the champions there. And given Inui's fondness for belt collecting, I could see him getting involved there because top rank have got everything in-house and ready to go for him. So I think we see him there in 2025. If if that's not his last fight of the year in 2024... Yeah, I guess, you know, he said something on the lines of, well, he's not too really bothered about belts. That's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> uh, you know, there was there was better fights for him at Super Bantam than Marlon Tapales, wasn't there? But, um, you know, he's he wanted the belts. He wanted to go undisputed, and so he should. Absolutely fair play to him. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think he'll go Luis Neri, maybe Casemiro. That fight's been sp- spoken about forever. Although Casemiro's 34 now, and you can imagine the next loss will be the last one. He's just coming off a draw. Um, so if he if he can get into a mandatory position, I think it's going to be mandatory that's going to kind of dictate it. Um, and we'll see, we'll see, um, we'll see what will kind of what will happen with with a new age. But it was great fun. I I just I love him so much. I love watching a new age. He's just such a fantastic fighter. Um, everything he does is fluid. Even his defense is is really underrated as well. Um, yeah, oh, he's fantastic. Um. A lot of discussion online, actually. I'm going to put you on the spot. You know, I like to do this. Uh, about who's going to be the... We actually spoke about this last time out. Who's going to be the fighter of the year, Terence Crawford or Inoue? Now the year's out. Where are we with that? It's not difficult for me. It's Inoue because Crawford had one very good win. Inoue had two. And again, it's not unheard of for somebody to get fighter of the year 
fighting only once, like uh, either Tyson Fury or Teofimo Lopez mm. got it in twenty twenty for Wilder two or Lomachenko. I think with the ring they shared mm. the title that year in uh, the eighties. Marvin Hagler won it for stopping Tommy Hearns in the war. Mm. But for me, the COVID year, there's mitigation. And beating Errol Spence is not the same as beating Hitman Hearns in one of the most iconic fights of all time. Mm. The justification for people picking Crawford is that Spence was a top five pound-for-pound guy. And for me, I always felt that he was a bit overrated. There there was absolutely nothing wrong with his resume. Like he was did pretty well, but to be a guy who'd fought at one weight and his wins being Kelbrook, a lightweight Mikey Garcia and the PBC welterweights, mm. it just wasn't enough for that lofty ranking. Like, as far as I'm concerned, Stephen Fulton's trio of wins prior to facing Inui of Leo, Figueroa and Roman matches favourably with any three consecutive win- wins of Errol Spence. Mm. I don't think that there was a great deal of difference between Fulton and Spence in terms of the quality of that win. It's Western bias. Like The ring has only ever had one Asian win fighter of the year. Manny Pacquiao has won it three times, but only him. In the for as long as they've been running the event in their fight of the year, only five fights have ever involved Asian fighters. Right. One of those was Inui against uh, Donair Won, yeah. but there's a massive Western bias. Most of these awards go to Americans or Europeans, and for me this year, I think a lot of people are going to do that. They're going to give it to Terence Crawford, but realistically. It's a new. It's a new. Quite clearly for me. Do you agree, or do you think I'm talking? Rubbish? No, I, I absolutely agree. Do you know what? Do you know what? It, where it was? It surprised me. It was Boxing News's awards. I haven't seen Rings. Did Ring give it to Crawford as well? They haven't announced uh, yet, but I imagine they'll give it. Right. To Crawford. I saw that Boxing News gave it to Crawford, and I might get in some trouble for this, but um, I just thought it just felt a bit clickbaity. It just felt a bit like this is... You're right. To me, it's so obvious. It's a new way. He's gone undisputed twice in 377 days. Of course it's a new way. Like, it's not difficult. And Crawford was a favourite in the fight with Spence. A narrow one, but still a favourite. And the wins you're talking about with you know with Tyson Fury, um, with Teofimo Lopez. Teofimo Lopez, you know, beating Lomachenko, no one expected that. It was such a, such a big win and such a fantastic performance. And the same with, with Fury, you know, COVID obviously was a factor, but such a fantastic performance that you can see why they got it. And perhaps it just wasn't the standout candidates. In this instance, there is a standout candidate outside of Crawford and it's a new way and the achievements back it up, the performances back it up. And it just felt seeing people pick Crawford, it's either, it's either like you say, you know, American Western bias or it's, oh, let's drive some conversation, you know, um, when actually it's 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 a to use the term it's a layup it's easy it's a new way he should be the fighter of the year because of what he's done that the the performances the wins the belts the achievements it's easy for me but yeah i take your point yeah i agree and i think with boxing news it's also possible that boxing news had a big 
presence at Spence Crawford, both on the video and editorial mm. side. It's possible that they got a little bit swept up in that I was there. Right. Like It felt like a big event. It felt like the defining moment of the year because they were there throughout all of fight week. It's sometimes easy to have that bias. Like If you talk about the greatest games of football mm. you've ever yep. watched, chances are you pick one that you were actually in the stadium yeah, for. Yeah, it's a fair point because you get caught up more in the feeling of being there and the event itself. And if you wasn't at yeah. both the new A fights, but you was at Spence. And Spence, you know, in terms of the event of the year, yes, Crawford Spence, even performance actually, Crawford's performance was that good. You know, in terms yep. of a one-off fight, you could argue... But I would caveat that with Spence was so poor. He looked completely shot. And and the fact that when a rematch hasn't been announced yet, um, enough, it's, it's definitely quiet around Spence. That says everything to me. It says absolutely everything to me that, um, that you know, I don't know if Crawford's trying to fight him again at welterweight, which I think is completely out of order. But, you know, it just... I think it says it all really in terms of that performance. Spence looked horrible. He's had a, you know, uh, Crawford was great and, and boxed great, but it was another one-sided performance for Crawford. And I suppose with great fighters, that's always that sometimes is the case is that they'll make the toughest fights look easy. But we'll ne- we won't know how good that win is until Spence boxes again. That's when that's when Crawford will really get the credit that that he deserves. Um, but yeah, in terms of performance of the year, I think Crawford, yeah. But overall, fighter of the year for me is Nayo Inoue. Um Okay, let's. We've got a lot to cover on the Saudi show, so we should probably jump onto the Saudi show. Oof. Let's go for All it. All right, I'm going to try and see what order to do this in. I'll work from the bottom. This was actually, this made me laugh out. I actually missed Frank Sanchez and Junior Far. I missed that because I think I was watching the Spurs game. How was that? Did you watch that fight? <laughs> I did. And it was Frank Sanchez being Frank Sanchez. He's incredibly patient to the point of it being a frustrating watch. Mm. He was allowing Junior Far to be in the fight far more than he had to be. Bear in mind that it was only two fights previous that Junior Farr got chinned by Lucas Brown mm. around. But Frank Sanchez isn't the sort of fighter who's just going to come bombing forwards. He's going to patiently wait for his opening and when he found it, he took it, got the nice stoppage win in the end which was enough to lift the performance. If that had gone the distance, his stock would have diminished. It wasn't a performance that was going to build a lot of buzz or hype. But in the end, he got there. And I still think he's a threat to some of the bigger names because he is accurate, he is patient, he doesn't give you a lot of openings. It's it, Sometimes he does carry people more than he should in the same way that... Tank can be guilty yeah. of that because he's patient and waiting for that one punch. Fights can look more competitive than they should be because they're waiting for that one big moment. And I feel that Frank Sanchez does the same sometimes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I suppose Junior Far was just made to order for him, wasn't it? It was a couple of knockdowns, three knockdowns in the end, and then got him out of there by the seventh. What do you think they do with Sanchez next? I think that he'll be involved in this big heavyweight merry-go-round. I don't know if they give him Caballel next, if they give him Bacoli next, Parker next. It's hard to predict mm. 
what the Saudis see as their priority for who to match with each other going forwards, but I think he's going to be involved in the people that are on this Saudi conveyor belt. What do you yeah. think? Mm. Yeah, looking at it, uh, did it uh, there's obviously, I remember you saying a few pods ago about Joe Joyce and Joe Joyce needing a kind of, a, he's, on, he's on a big guarantee with Frank Warren and Saudi is kind of Frank's way out of that, isn't it? Saudi will pay the money to get to make sure that Joe Joyce gets his minimum. Maybe they feed into Frank Sanchez. Maybe maybe that's that's Joe Joyce's kind of cash out fight. Maybe or maybe that's his rebirth fight. Maybe he, he comes back. Um, not sure. Not sure there. Um, but you would think with this heavyweight merry-go-round, like you were saying, that Joe Joyce is going to find a way in there, um, just because he has a contract with Frank and he's not going to sell a ticket over here. So you'd think Saudi's the way back in for him. Uh, but we'll see. I think Joe Joyce has got his path laid out. I am expecting to see Dubois Joyce 2 in Saudi at some point this year. I think given that Dubois came through the Big Baby Miller test, which is the Tesco value version of Joe Joyce, mm. Mm. Massive great big lump coming forward, applying pressure to mm. you, etc., etc. I think that that was gauging if it was the time to pull the trigger on that rematch and get the result that Queensbury probably wanted first time round. It was a good. Let's move on to Dubois. It was a good. It was a. It was a. I actually made that comparison myself on the night. You know, I said he's just like Joe Joyce. He comes forward. He takes a lot of shots, but he's got a good chin. But he's slow although he had quicker hands than Dubois actually Miller um so you expect it you think that'll be in Saudi and you think what sometime in the spring maybe Joyce and Dubois too yeah it's going to happen like if it's on the undercard of (coughs) the undisputed fight I think it comes a bit too Mm. soon but it could be on the undercard of whatever they decide to do with Anthony Joshua next right Right, yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah, we'll see. What did you think of Dubois Miller? Did you enjoy it? It was a freak show of a fight, and I'm all here for it. It was interesting. It had ebbing and flowing momentum. There were times where it looked like Dubois was going to buckle under the Mm -hmm. pressure. There was times where it looked as if uh, Big Baby Miller was going to have a cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. You know, it was fantastic. I loved it. I love Dubois. Like, he's... He's just this flawed, flawed genius, if you like. He doesn't, he doesn't, you don't want to hear him speak. You don't want to hear him give a lecture on anything. Although when he does speak, it does tend to be hilarious when he's, when he's asked to speak more than a few words. Um, But yeah, you've got this gobby, gobby New York guy, Miller and Dubois. And Miller was well overweight, but he actually, in the early middle rounds, I say three, four and five, he had the hand speed was a trouble for was troubling Dubois quite a bit, and the commentary were were they got into this kind of um, they started to get into this rhythm of talking about oh Dubois in trouble and it didn't really look like that because Miller just doesn't have the power um, and once Dubois started to turn around you could see the stoppage coming it was only set for ten rounds and I was out of my seat when when Dubois got the stoppage at the end because it just felt like. I wanted Dubois to win just because I don't particularly like Miller. Um, 
and was delighted for him. And you could see how happy he was as well, couldn't you, John? Yeah, and he needed that. I thought Don Charles did a tremendous job in the corner of guiding him through that fight, keeping his spirits up, convincing him that it was working to stick with it. And then I thought the DJ in Saudi deserved a pay rise for after the stoppage happened, he played Daddy Cool in reference to uh, Dubois' one-liner that was clearly pre-rehearsed at the final press conference where he said that uh, Miller might be the big baby but he was going to be his daddy and then was very proud of himself and had the big grin on his face that he managed to say it without stumbling over his words and then for the DJ to then play Daddy Cool at the end, nice touch, I liked it, it was a feel-good fight it's nice seeing big baby Miller getting stopped and just while we're here, actually, on Big Baby Miller, did you hear the news yesterday that he's been arrested? Yes, I did. It was a carjacking? It was a carjacking. So we hear all about the massive money that Saudi are paying, life-changing money. Well, Big Baby Miller's carjacking and Martin Bacoli's doing a GoFundMe. Mm. Mm, fair point. It seems perhaps all the money's going to the to the main event. It feels like one of those... Anthony Crawler matchroom cards back in the day where Anthony, they had to make sure Anthony Crawler cleared six figures so everybody else is on peanuts. It feels like that. Um, yeah, it's a fair point, actually. You think, you know, you know, Hergovic and Sanchez would all, you know, make good money, but I guess they're playing the long game, you know. They're, they're, they're you know, thinking, oh, I'll take the short money now and make the big money later on if I win. Um, but yeah. I did think that myself, actually. He's just gone to Saudi. He's boxed in Saudi. You think he'd have cleared good money. And there he is. He's come back and, you know, innocent until proven guilty and all that shit. But, you know, he's somehow involved in a carjacking, <laughs> allegedly. Um, so, yeah, real shame. Well, cool. I doubt it's a case of mistaken identity. No. How many 300-pound guys are walking about? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's true. He's a big lump. He's got a distinctive look. He's he's hard to mistake. Yeah, yeah. he's going to have some trouble. He's going to need Johnny Cochran. He's going to need Johnny Cochran Jr. to come out and, and try and say, <laughs> keep him out of prison. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we shall see. Um, but yeah, Dubar Joyce, I'm up for that. I'm up. Who would you pick, Dubar Joyce? Still Joyce. Wow. Wow. So do you think... Because I think his chin's gone. I don't think his chin's gone. I think he was facing the guy that was all wrong for him, who had massive right. power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fair. Yeah, I. Go on. I don't think that his chin is gone. I think if Zhang hits anyone clean, it, the same result will happen. Mm. Zhang struggles with hand speed. Like he almost lost to Jerry Forrest. Smaller guys with speed give them fits. Like Michael Hunter would probably beat Zhang. But I think Joyce would walk through Hunter. I think Joyce has still got a lot to offer to the heavyweight division. And given that Dubois had some real issues with Miller until Miller really started to tire in the second half of the fight, Joyce doesn't tire. Joyce doesn't slow down. I don't know if Dubois has got an answer to that Joyce jab. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's done yet. But again, no one will know until we see him in another big fight. Is his punch resistance gone or was Zhang all wrong for him? And it's interesting, we're in either camp here and one of us will get to gloat yes. at some point this yeah, year. Yeah, I, 
I do. I think his chin's gone. I think he's just eaten too many shots, be it in sparring or in fights. And I think it's chipped. I think it's chipped away at it. And I don't think he. What it was, it was. It wasn't the second fight that made me think it was the first fight. And it was seeing him wobbly legs all over the place. And it's like that's not you. That's not. There's something wrong here. And there was a lot of focus on the swelling around his eye and the eye injury, and that was kind of his get out. But the worrying thing for me was him being on wobbly legs in the second round. I was like, there's an issue here. You're, maybe the chin's gone, the punch resistance is gone. But you're right. We'll see. Hopefully they'll make it, and one of us will be right, and one of us will be wrong. Um, but I completely get your point. Joyce's jab was imperious in that first Dubois fight. And if he gets that going again in the second fight, I think you're right, he'll win again. But I'm going to go with Dubois for now. Um I tell you what, what probably my favourite fight of the night was Caballero and Mahmoudov. Mahmoudov gives massive David Price energy. Massive. <laughs> I think it's because he looks like him. He really. I was saying to my brother, I was watching it with him. I was watching my brother and I said, he's giving me David Price energy. And then he goes and does a kind of a soft, well, not a soft, quick job. He gets stopped to the body. When, when was the last time you saw a heavyweight stopped to the body, John? Not at any sort of level. Mm. Like it's, you do occasionally see it with prospects coming up, but not in a fight of this magnitude. Mm. But Cabell boxed really well, and Cabell's always had something like that in his locker. He boxed rings around Derek Chisora in Monaco years ago, and Mahmoudov. There were warning signs. Like he didn't look great against Takam and Vak back in twenty twenty two. There were concerns there. I still thought he would just be a bit too big for Cabael. I thought he would beat Cabael by decision. I thought Cabael would be on the back foot. But Cabael realised he had the edge in hand speed and that this guy just did not like getting hit back. Makmudov is a flat track bully. And again, that's fine. Like There'll be plenty of interesting fights that you can make with a guy like that. But not at the top level I think his days as a serious heavyweight prospect are now over I I think you're right I think it did it just it just smacked off the second Tony Thompson fight with David Price it was just (laughs) he just panicked as soon as he started getting hit back he panicked and he gassed and he got stopped to the body and that's a really really bad stoppage and it's gonna be really difficult for him to get over I I think he's just gonna be a guy that knocks over puddings and then gets beat every time he gets in with someone half decent and that's okay you know if if he makes a good living out of it then then fair play to him but i was happy for caballero i don't know why i think just because everybody expected Mahmoudov to win and yeah i like the way he went about it i like the way he went about it going to the body aggressive took some shots as well um yeah i was really pleased for him but actually probably my the thing the moment of the night that made me laugh the most was Philip Hergovich hitting Mark Demori and Mark Demori turning his back. <laughs> he did it more than once. He just he didn't want to be there. He wanted to take his paycheck and get back to a beach in Australia. Oh, it just made me laugh. I was proper. I was watching it with my little nephew, and I just he didn't understand why that was so funny, but it just was. It just he just turned his back. He was just like, nope, no, thank you. The ref should have waved it off then. Really, he was done at that point. But he ended yeah. up letting him go back in and get beaten up a little bit more. He just didn't want to... Yeah, like you said, he was there to make a couple of quid. Whoever his agent is, fair play to him for, for getting him the payday. Um, but Hergovic, he's IBF number one. 
it doesn't sound like he's going to fight Joshua next, does it? It's difficult to see what's going to happen here. It depends when the titles fall vacant. The IBF are pretty strict on calling their mandatories. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had an IBF mandatory in a while, which I think means that probably the winner of Undisputed will be called to face Hergovich quite quickly, mm-hmm. probably ahead of a rematch, and that belt will likely get dropped. Mm-hmm. So it depends what they decide to do with Joshua. Joshua beating Otto Wallen will result in him being the number two in the IBF ratings. Because Wallen held that position. So if the belt becomes vacant, there's the option of a vacant title there for Joshua Hergovich. Because realistically, if Wilder is currently off the table, Mm. your two options for Joshua are Hergovich for the IBF belt or Joseph Parker. As far as I see it, I can't really see a third viable option at the minute. Do you think that's fair? It is fair, in but your what you kind of miss is how strongly Eddie Hearn is trying to make the Francis Ngannou fight. <laughs> he, yeah, he is enough. talking about that fight with a lot of passion because I think he's trying to keep Joshua in safe-ish fights to get him a, a world title fight against Fury or Usyk again. He, he wants Fury. He wants it to be Fury. I think they know they can't beat Usyk. They know Usyk's just too good. He's just too good for Joshua. They want it to be Fury. They want the Fury fight. They probably think Fury's on the way out. And you know, Fury's incredibly quiet at the minute. Considering he's boxing in a, in a month, you know, he, he's not talking about sausages and little middleweights and all of that. He's he's very quiet at the minute. And I, I think they probably think Fury's ready. He's ready to go. And they want that Fury fight. It's the bigger money fight. Uh, and they probably see it as the more winnable fight. But in the meantime, they want to keep Joshua safe. And so I think they probably think they'll beat Hergovich. Um, and I, but they seem to be really talking about Francis Ngannou because it's easy. In it's an, I think they look at it as an easy fight. And it's Parker. I think he'd beat Parker. Um, it's hard to see what we got out of Parker out of that, that Wilder fight. It was so strange. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure really, but I think they might go for Ngannou uh, if they can. If not, I suppose it will have to. It will have to be Parker. Um, what well, we're talking about heavyweights. We'll talk about all the cruisers and that in a minute. What did you make of the Deontay Wilder and Joseph Parker fight? It was strange, wasn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't because. We've seen this before with Deontay Wilder. He didn't win a round of either of the Luis Ortiz fights, except the one where he got the knockout. And against Hellenius in his only fight since the conclusion of the Beauty Trilogy, He scored the knockout by being on the back foot, moving into a corner. This is obviously the way that they've been trying to do the evolution of Deontay Wilder with Malik Scott, is to try and have him on the back foot, walking people onto Mm. shots. And 
the problems that he was having are things that we've seen before. The only difference was he didn't find the right hand to change it. Like Spilka gave him all sorts of problems mm-hmm. by applying pressure, using lateral movement, changing his level up and down on the way in, backing him up against the ropes. Like None of this was unusual for Deontay Wilder. What was unusual was that the right hand never followed mm-hmm. through as far as I'm concerned. Do you think... Um, being too overly simplistic with that? No, I, I think you're right. I do think you're right. It's It felt like it had strong Luis Ortiz energy about it, uh, I felt. The second fight, the second fight. The th- first fight was more open and more aggressive. And he just never... Wilder just... You know, first of all, big credit to Joseph Parker and Andy Lee, actually, for for coming up with a game plan to be aggressive, to smother him, to make him uncomfortable. It worked. They'd obviously watched a lot of tape on Wilder and thought, right, he's, he wants he wants to walk you onto something. You've just got to get in his face, basically, and make him really uncomfortable. And that's what they did. And, and Wilder, yeah, you're right. He he was just trying to find, like, uh, when he boxed his last fight. I've forgotten the guy's name now. Um, it was Hellenius. Yeah, that was it, Hellenius. He just walked him onto a shot, didn't he? Just walked him into, onto a yep. right hand, and that was that. Um, same with Luis Ortiz he waited for Ortiz to tire and he found a shot and Joseph Parker didn't tire and Joseph Parker didn't eat anything clean but he just while we've seen that before Wilder looked particularly passive and after the fight was quite it was really interesting how Wilder was after the fight Um, he's been doing mushrooms hasn't he basically (laughs) He's been doing mushrooms, and he's a change man. I can't say what they're called. You might be able to say the word, but I can't. I've not said the word before. I'm not confident saying it. Um, but um, he's been doing mushrooms, and now he's a change man. And I'd, he, he wasn't. He didn't seem bothered. He just didn't seem bothered, did he, John? That he'd lost. Yeah, but he also was raising his hand and believes that he won on the judges' scorecards, mm. which shows me there's a bit of the old Deontay Wilder in there. Because Deontay Wilder never feels that he's been beaten. Mm. There's always a reason why it went wrong. Like, his suit was too heavy. His water bottle got spiked. Mm. Tyson Fury had messed with his gloves. Like, there's always a reason. And the fact that he is denying a clear-cut loss was a loss shows me that there's still enough of the old Deontay Wilder in there. I think that he will still be able to get wins against a lot of top guys. The problem is Deontay Wilder didn't face the best competition when he was making his world title defences. So we don't know, is this him deteriorating or if Joseph Parker was always the wrong style of fighter because he never faced someone like that who could be compact, coming forward, good hand speed, good footwork, was agile, that wasn't the sort of guys that Deontay Wilder faced. They tended to be a bit slower, a bit stiffer, a bit more upright. You know, your Dominic Brazils, etc., etc. And when he did face guys who did try and put some pressure on him, like Eric Molina, he had his problems. He, he But he usually found the answer. There was no answer here. And again, I'm not convinced he's finished. A bit like Joyce, I don't know if Joseph Parker was just a bad style matchup. Like, give me Arslan Beck, Mahmoudov, and Deontay Wilder, two monstrous punchers, whoever lands first wins, whoever misses 
is flat on their back. Mm. Like, g- give me that shootout. I still think that there's interesting fights out there for Deontay Wilder. Yeah, yeah, and I think as long as there's a payday for him, maybe maybe he will box again. Mac Mudov, you can book it for six rounds. It's not going to go any more than six. <laughs> Actually, here's another one, it's, and it was spoken about before, but it's it's got an, it's got another twist on it now. Wilder Joyce. They both yep. need it. Robert. Yep. You know. Give it to yeah, me. Yeah, I'd, I'd watch that. I'd watch Wilder Joyce. I'd still watch Wilder in boxing matches because he's um, he has he has that he still has that right hand. I, I still believe he has it. Um, yeah. But it, it's really interesting now because that fight was always billed as the unstoppable force against the immovable yep. object. But we've seen that Wilder isn't always going to land the right hand and Joyce can be stopped. Hmm. Mm. That's that's why I like it. It's got it's it's they they are who they are as fighters, <laughs> but it's got a different twist on it now. They're different fighters. They're, yeah. they're, they're almost different fighters now. So I, I can go with that. Maybe give Dubois somebody else. Um, I think Dubois got to fight people kind of like Miller, people that have come forward. I don't think you want to put him in there with boxer boxers. Um, Dubois. Do by Zhang. I want to see Zhang get a, get a crack at this Saudi money as well. Where do you think Zhang kind of fits into all of this? He is going to fit in the picture at some point because of that WBO interim title that he currently mm. holds. He is the WBO mandatory, but the WBO are probably going to be the most compliant with whatever Frank Warren wants. Yeah. Yeah. So he might be hovering about, they're going to have to feature him at some point because he is going to be involved in the title picture at some stage. They're they're going to have to get him in here, but it's trying to find any of the top guys who want anything to do with Zhang on the back of the two Joyce victories. I think a lot of the top guys are going to hope that they can age him out, just bide their time and hope for him to get older and slower and that that'll be enough. Mm. What we were talking about fights for Joshua, it, Zhang's not an option, is he, for Joshua? Not at the minute. Not with the rebuild. Like, I'm sort of thinking that although Nganu makes sense, what could possibly make more sense is if the IBF call Hergovich immediately after the undisputed mm. fight. If Joshua beats Hergovich, if they're confident that, you know, he's back, he's yes. back, he's reborn, yes. that then you stick him in with Hergovich, you get the IBF belt on him, you have him fight Nganu shortly after the rematch between Usyk and Fury as a world champion, give Nganu his world title mm-hmm. fight, and then go and fight the winner of Undisputed on the back of reclaiming a world title belt, so nice I did it thrice, etc, etc beating Nganu his value increases exponentially and at the end of the day, Eddie Hearn is a businessman and that is probably the route that makes the most money I think Zhang is too high risk, I think Zhang was being entertained as a fight in the bird's nest as Anthony Joshua's retirement payday if there was nothing else on the horizon I think now that They've got good options for him again. I don't think we'll see Zhang entering the fray. No, he's just he's 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 massive, a southpaw and a puncher, and he's not going to sell a fight either. 
he's from China. He's not gonna. He's not gonna really, really sell a fight. So there's not a lot of reward for him. But like you said, politically, he has to get in because he's got that interim title, and he's just coming off two massive wins, and he pushed Hergovic very, very close. Arguably, won that fight. So he has to find a way in at some point. There's gonna be, you know. So he's going to become like a boogeyman. People, he's going to become like the Paul Williams of the heavyweight division. Nobody wants to fight him. And I've got a Zhang idea. Yeah, go How do you solve a problem like Zhang? So, realistically, none of the top guys want to fight him. But he, because of his status with the WBO, he's got to feature. Mm-hmm. He's previously struggled with small, fast guys like Jerry Forrest, mm-hmm. who he drew with. So what about sticking him in with Cabell, whose footwork mm. will give him fits, whose hand speed will give him mm. fits, who can get in and out and avoid the big ponderous left hand, who might be able to get past the jab. And then if you've got the WBO interim status on uh, Cabell, there'll be people who will be more than willing to fight Cabell. Dubois. You can see Dubois getting an interim yep. belt. The guy's already been a regular. I liked that they announced Dubai as a former world champion. That made me smile. <laughs> that did make me smile when he was announced as a former world champion. I don't know if it was Michael Buffer or David Diamante. I can't remember who the MC was. Um, but yeah, they said a former WBA world champion. I was like, go on, Dan. Go on. We know it's not true, but you have your fun, mate. Was it Thomas Tiber? Might have, been. That Might have been. That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. But yeah, they announced him as a former world champion, which made me smile. Yeah, that makes sense. Zhang Caballel keeps him busy, keeps him on the Saudi card. Two good fighters coming off wins. Yeah, big wins. It makes sense. I like it. I like it. Um, let's skim through these other... Let's s- skim through these other other fights now. Opatia, blink. it was a blink and you missed it job, wasn't it? Him against Zorro. Yeah, poor Zorro like, should not have been in the ring. I didn't like that Opataya dropped his belt to engage in this two-fight deal. I don't like that the Saudis want to make Opataya bivol at some sort of catch weight, but it does lean into my bold prediction on our last podcast where I said that the Saudis are going to make belts irrelevant starting in 2024. Yeah. If we end up with Bivol, Opataya, a catchweight, that's the beginning of the end of belts. Yeah, it becomes about fights, not belts then. Um, yep. Yeah, and it almost does away with weight classes as well. You could argue that point as well. It's like our sod weight classes. You know, <laughs> yeah. Forget the traditional weight classes. We'll start making our own. Maybe Bridgerweight makes a comeback. Maybe they call it His Excellency weight and then they just fight whatever they like. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they do away with bridge weight. WBC can always be bought if they need to. If they need to, you know, to to um, name a weight division after his excellency, then I'm sure the WBC will be more than happy to do so. Yeah, I, I, I think it was literally one of those opportunities. Zorro. it shouldn't have happened. He's had to give up his world title in order to fight someone well beneath his level. Um, yeah, him and Bivol. Yeah, I, I, I get it. The better be a fight. Um, um, or Bob Ram didn't seem interested in making that Bivol better be here because they're both Russian and he just didn't want to touch it. Um, so, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I didn't know about that Opataya Bivol, but pff. who would you fancy in that one? Opataya. Unless the weight was set at something like 180, because Opataya is big. If 
if the wheat favours him in any sort of way, I think Opatai is just too big for Bivol. Like, it's an oversimplification, but a good big man beats a good little man most of the time. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Opatai is very good. Um, we've we've not really got to see him on these shores, how good he is, because he's fighting British-level guys, really. Um, yeah. But Bivol... Bivol was getting a bit of criticism on the commentary by... I don't know if you heard that, on the DAZN commentary in his performance against yeah. Lyndon Arthur. I think... I don't think he could have done much more to, to get Arthur out of there. He just doesn't hit hard enough. I, I don't think it was, it's much more to it than that, but they were being quite critical of him. Did you notice that? Yeah, they, they were being critical of him, and it's interesting because I think it's something that has been forgotten, but you see for the people who watched Bivol on the way up mm. on Box Nation, mm. He was being billed as a bit of a light heavyweight Golovkin because he was stopping everybody. On the way up, he was devastating. Very few people were standing up to what he was delivering. And it could be argued that once he stepped up to world class, he doesn't hit quite as hard. In the same way that Usyk was stopping everybody on the way up in the cruiserweight division, but when he got to world class, the stoppages didn't come as frequently. But I think there's also an issue with Bivol at world class level, is he just doesn't commit enough. There, there was never a third phase with his attacks against Lyndon Arthur. I think he could have got him out of there, but they had to be in sixes and sevens, not in threes and fours. He's a very cautious, very calculated fighter who wouldn't leave that opportunity. If he'd gambled a bit more, I think Lyndon Arthur was there for the taking. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought they were being harsh, but I take your point. I think there wasn't... Maybe he's been dropped in sparring a few times and he's become extra cautious because of that. He just... I know what you're saying. He, he, he doesn't just think, do you know what? Don't worry about what's coming back. Not like a, you know, the actual Golovkin who would just take the shots and then just keep coming forward. Yeah. He's not that guy. He won't take the shots. He'll 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 step off and then come back in and land three or four. I take your point. Um, maybe he has to go to cruiser to to make to get another money fight because the better be a fight and or the Cam Smith fight. You never know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Maybe the Cam Smith Cam Smith wins. Um, that you'd think that rap would get made actually. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I take your point. I take your point. That is actually the whole card, isn't it? Yes, it is. That, yeah, I think, I think we've got through well everything. Done. Well done. Good job, John. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so we've done Fighter of the Year. What's one thing? It can be a bo- it can be a boxing match itself or it can be just a thing to happen. Uh, what would you like to see happen in 2024? I'll go with something a little bit random, a little bit left mm-hmm. field. And I'll see that... One thing I want to happen is for more of a spotlight to be put on minimum weight, which is really quite hot at the minute. And the best way to do that is to get one of the Shigioka brothers to fight Oscar Colazzo. It's a fight between unbeaten guys. They can dig, and I think it would really put some eyes onto minimum weight in the way that... The Superfly series on HBO put eyes on to Superfly. 
And I think it would be good for the sport if people realise that these lower weight classes can actually produce some pretty big fights. It's a good shout, actually. I think, actually, to put a twist on that, why not the Sourlands invest in a, in a super series at minimum weight, you know, to, to, to put a bit more... It can't, it's not going to cost the earth. You know, it's not, nope, it's not nope. going to cost the earth to do it. They're not on massive money. And if you can get some Middle Eastern money involved or Vegas, have Vegas do it, um, you know, to rebuild Vegas back up again because they've got to be worried. Um, yeah, maybe something like that, you know, because we've not seen it, haven't we? There was talk about them doing it, I think it was at Super Feather in the women's division, um, and then they yeah. just didn't bother. They just, for whatever reason, they decided to get into Misfits boxing instead. Um yeah, uh, yeah, I, I like it. I think that's good. I, I've put a slight twist on your on what you've said, but yeah, I think. No, I like it. You've made it better because there's other good fighters like Alex Winwood from Australia coming through. Like, it's a time where that division could really be quite hot if you could get some eyes on mm, it. Yeah, and actually looking at the boxer rankings, there's a lot of guys there that haven't had many fights. Um, you know, six and oh, six two and one, eight and oh, eight and oh. Why not get these guys into a into a tournament where they can make a few make a few quid? and make a name for themselves even if you stuck a big fight on the top of the card you know a heavyweight fight or a big big fight at the top of it but you have these guys you know you have these guys in you know underneath and that because that's what worked for superfly wasn't it that's what got chocolatito on the map you know in the into the mainstream was fighting on the golovkin undercards you know people you know boxing hardcores knew chocolatito was but you know perhaps the mainstream didn't and maybe that's a way of doing it is is having a star as the headline but having these guys underneath and getting getting giving them the tv time that you know that they deserve um they did it with ricardo lopez in the 90s yes yes. the mexican minimum weight champion who was always on big uh hbo pay-per-view cards was that the guy that was 51 and oh uh no, uh, I think that's the Thai guy. He had a lovely record in the end, uh, Ricardo Lopez. He only had one draw against Alvarez, I think. He was undefeated, but it wasn't quite as high as 50 and all. No, yeah. It was a, <laughs> a different Ricardo Lopez. Uh, he was 51 0 and 1. He was minimum weight. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that, that's the one. He was fifty. I didn't. Th- I didn't realize it was quite as high as fifty. I thought he was just under that. But yeah, that is. That's the one. That's the, one. That's the guy. So, what what would you do? What would be your one big thing? Uh, I'm gonna be a hater. Connor Ben to get knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> it would be popular. It would be popular. But I'd love to just see Connor Ben get stopped in a fight. It would just the guy. Yeah, it, the way the way that that whole drugs thing was handled not just by him but by everyone at Matchroom. it would only be justice if he lost the fight and lost it emphatically um i don't want him to get, see him get hurt or anything um but to see him get stopped possibly to the body that would make me quite happy for the year i'm uh, it would be even better if it's by someone like peter dobson who's fighting next someone who's pretty unheralded yeah. not many people have heard <clears> of him oh yeah i don't want him making anyone or 50 grand for it like it's it's it doesn't get but he doesn't get five million to get stopped he gets 50 grand and he gets taxed a lot of it as well yeah <laughs> i woke up this morning drunk drunk a tall glass of haterade this morning um yeah that would be mine connor ben lose a fight um yeah just go away um anyway that'll do thank you so much john uh i appreciate your time i appreciate your time and i will talk to you soon Social Podcast Network.